The Hump, episode 45, Out in Space. We talk with one of our own who has a background in nature and with our travel series, we're going to get out and about and enjoy the blue sky and some mountains and some hiking and a little fishing, perhaps, with our very own Matt Toll. Welcome to The Hump, your show about how to get one over in this thing called life. This is Brent Bowen. Chad Beeland. Well, before we get started, a little shameless plug for us. If you're familiar with the pitches, best of KC awards, we're in the middle of the nomination season. We'd love it. We'd absolutely love it. If you'd go out and nominate us for best local podcast. You can nominate now through July 30th, so through the end of the month. You'll get a couple couple weeks maybe to go out and nominate us. Go out to vote.thepitchkc.com. It's in the arts and entertainment section and then best local podcast. So, again, go out to vote.thepitchkc.com in the arts and entertainment section, best local podcast. Show the hump some love, would you, and nominate us today. And as I mentioned, we're welcoming our own. So we're going to toast to Matt. Matt, thanks for joining us tonight. Cheers, guys. I'm toasting. This is a first on on the air that I'm toasting with official the hump glasses. Hump merch. Yeah. Ooh. Get your hump. Get your hump on. When's the store open up? When's the store <laughs> Start open? selling some of the shit. I that could be a possibility. Mm. I mean, everybody wants hump gear. Yeah, everybody wants hump gear. And you had offered to to be packaging all this, so you didn't realize that I was going to be working you like a third world country here pretty soon. Just want my cut. All right, all right. So, Matt, as guest, we'll have you start. What are you What are you drinking tonight? So I'm drinking Deep Elm IPA from from deep ellum brewing company it's apparently from texas mm. so there's deep ellum or there's an ellum part of dallas that used to be yep. a big yep. Da- bar district and i wonder if it's associated with that i've had many a fun evening out in deep ellum with former guest yeah, hunter hoss looks like mm. that's what it says st louis street in dallas texas and there are some great bars in deep ellum there's some great bars i can't say i've had a lot of great beers out of the state of texas no Shinerbach doesn't do it for you. I, I think of their beers kind of like I think of Texas in general. Like fuck them. I don't. <laughs> I don't have a lot of love for Texas. Now you still haven't been to Austin yet, though, have you? No, I'll give it a go. But okay, Austin's keep Austin weird as a real thing. Although they stole that from Portland, like you know, there are a lot of Californians and New Yorkers freaking taking over Austin. At this I like point, Californians so. and New Yorkers. All right. Well, that's the problem with Texas. There's too many Texans. There's too many Texans. Well, Austin has been the oasis in Texas for many a year. All right. And it's we need to go there to get some barbecue and listen to some damn good music on on Sixth Street and beyond. I'll do that. All right. So what are you drinking? 
This is one actually you gave me, I think, for my birthday. Ah. Uh, it's uh, Evil Twin Lemon Meringue. I don't know why I led with dessert, but yeah, it's tasty. It is tasty. That How many of those did I give you? Just one. Just one? I think one's going to do you. Yeah. Okay. I like it. It. I love that. So I ended up maybe I was going to offer you another one, but I'm not sure I have any more <laughs> because out of the four pack, I've been drinking that when I've been grilling. Like when it's hot next mm. to the grill, that thing's ice freaking cold. With some chicken or something. Yeah. Delicious. And there are a number of states. If you take the can back, you can get 10 cents. I'll just leave it here for you. Just leave it here for me. Well, that's so gracious of you yeah. to do that. Leave it. And I'm drinking a beer we talked about a couple episodes ago from Nimble Brewing. And I think this was one you brought me. It's a mango, mango, mango sour ale. It's been drinking a ton of sours of late. It looks like cider it does look like cider it almost has that has that consistency so all right that's our that's our beer for the night watch out soon for the hump merch the beer glasses are the beer glasses are coming i mean it just it tastes better in a hump glass it does yeah see i've got this look look good too yeah i've got i know nobody's nobody's gonna be able to see them while they're listening to this but they look good yeah Uh, well well, they if they catch us live on facebook if you work oh, yeah, for us true. for 10 years, you'll get your first glass. You'll get your so. first glass and see even co-hosts. So people can't see this, but I've got the generic brew glass that looks very similar, but it's yeah. generic. Yeah. The hump versus the the brew glass. Well, as I mentioned tonight, we welcome one of our behind the scenes talents, bringing him out in the open to, to chat with us. Matt Toll is joining us tonight. His work varies from producing podcasts, including the hump planning, shooting, and editing videos. And prior to the hump, he was a project manager at a Fortune 500 company. He still works at a non-Fortune 500 company, then does some laborious work that he moans to me about all the time, and we won't mention the employer. But before all that, he worked for the Department of Natural Resources in Utah, where he spent his days fishing the river and searching the mountains in order to protect native species. And their natural habitats. I like that. Yeah. You can get behind that. I can get behind that too. Yeah. And then even before that, he then protected the fish in some little aquarium in Boston, which I find highly ironic. So he was fishing while in Utah, but in Boston, he was protecting the fish. Yeah. Well, diverse. diverse. It's, a, it's, it's a weird, it was a weird dynamic. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. They both kind of, they both kind of had to deal with native species though. And, saving those native species or helping them thrive, I guess is, is a better way to phrase it. Really? Really? Yeah. Well, Matt Toll, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I guess based on that statement though, you don't eat lobster. Oh, I eat, I eat all of it. I eat everything. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. Let's explore those roles. So you're, you're telling us when you were in Utah that fishing actually helped contribute to protect the the natural habitat help us understand that yeah yeah so when i was in utah essentially utah has a species of native fish there's a razorback there's a couple other ones they're not they're not super pretty fish to look at and they're kind of slimy people don't really like eating them but people love eating and fishing for bass for walleye for other really great fish panfish like bluefish all that stuff um so people out in utah were putting some of those fish into the rivers 
and those non-native species were destroying the habitat of the native fish that were living there. So our job was to, my job was to, to basically get on a boat every single day. We'd jump on a boat, get on the river, the Green River, which started, if, you, if you're familiar with, or if you've ever been to Dinosaur National Monument, that's where our section of the river started. We lived like just outside of there in a small town called Vernal, but that's where our section of the river started. And we had about a hundred mile stretch of that river that we covered. Wow. And we would, we would basically run down the river about 15, 20 miles per day. So at a really, really slow crawl pace in these huge boats that had these giant metal balls hanging out front off of some booms that were shooting electricity into the water. So it would just kind of stun wow. the fish. It wouldn't really kill them. And they would just kind of swim up towards these balls. And as, as it did, you just kind of fish out all the invasive species. And like, <laughs> I mean, you're looking at the numbers of invasive species versus like the native species. And it was probably a hundred invasive to one native. Uh, really? All of the native. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty insane and we, we didn't even bother. So we removed all of the, all of the walleye, all of the bass, all of the panfish, like the bluegill and, and all that stuff. We, we pulled all those out. We would, we'd weigh them, we'd measure them, do all the scientific research, all the data that we could possibly grab off of them. And then if we ran into a native species, what we would do is we'd actually stop the boat. Every single native fish in those waters was either grown in a nursery that 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 same program actually helped kind of manage so they all have they all have tags in them like all little rfid tags and if they didn't have a tag in them so so like that tag essentially like let us track them from year to year to know where they're living let us know if they're migrating from different parts of the river any of that kind of stuff and also let us know if, if and if they don't have that tag then that just means native fish were you know procreating in the wild which is what the the end goal was there right um which was which is exciting to see but of course, a lot of people out there did not necessarily like us because we were removing all of those fish that they like fishing for that they like eating so it was kind of a it was kind of a mixed a mixed bag of emotions and a, a mixed i mean it's just kind of a mixed bag of emotions when you're killing hundreds or thousands of fish over the course surgical of, strike the course yeah. of, i, I yeah. had this this vision in my head of you you know, bringing wrangling up a bunch of the rednecks in the area and going out and fishing, but it's like a massive scientific surgical strike. To- yeah. What would you do yeah, with the invasive yeah. species? Yeah. We would, we, uh, to put it bluntly, we'd kill them and then we'd either. So for, for some of them, we'd kind of like the, the really nice fish. Sometimes we would fillet them up and eat them because we'd be camping on the river itself, right? We'd pull off yeah. on the sandbar at night, get out our tents, get out our camp stoves, all that stuff. And we'd flay those fish up that night and we'd, we'd eat them. Uh, but a lot of times what actually happens because we're, we're, I mean, we're out there for three or four days on end. Mm. Um, nobody's showering or anything like that, that we only have a cooler with some ice in it. You know, we're not getting restocked anywhere along, along the way. So we only get picked up, you know, four days later. So we would just, we just pop their swim bladders and throw them back in the river to be eaten by whatever other, other fish or other, like mm. if there's, we ran into some beavers occasionally, you know, if we would, we would, there's one there's one particular stretch of river where if we toss it up into the air an eagle would kind of swoop down and actually catch it right in front of the boat which was pretty cool cool. yeah yeah it was it was pretty cool it was it was definitely a very unique unique job and that was that was like a majority of the program but we uh, we helped with a couple of other areas as well mainly being like we would be up in the green mountains hunting for snakes to see if they would they would living in those areas basically trying to do like surveys is what is what they're kind of called in the in the ecological world we're doing surveys of does this species live in this area yes or no so we'd be up there searching around trying to hunt for different snakes and we'd you know 
there's one there's one area where we went to and we had to like leave utah go into wyoming come back into utah in order to access this little this little area and we got there and we found a snake skin we were like we've been hunting for like two or three days at this point we got stuck in some giant mud pits and we we got we got to this this area where there's some nice cliffs great habitat for snakes we found the snake skin and then uh, my my boss at the time my boss just said yeah we're we're done we're not hunting anymore because if if you get bit by that thing you're not making it to a hospital in time like wow. none, none of us are so we're like all right great we're gonna get out of these rocks then and have a great day all right see you so that was the utah experience contrast yep. that with the experience out in Boston, you were working for the New England Aquarium, correct? Yeah, yeah. Working for the New England Aquarium, that was an internship that happened just over the course of, of one summer. And there I was actually studying coral. So once again, had had to deal with mm. native species and kind of preserving them, but also had a larger end goal or larger picture of, I'm, I'm sure, Pretty much everyone is aware of like coral bleaching and oceans are warming, global warming, all that stuff. And it's, yeah, it's and you're for- you're you're talking Chad's game here right now because Chad's a like master diver, surgical diver, could dive in oh, space yeah. diver. He's got like all the freaking certifications. Yeah, so some of that's <laughs> it's relate. I mean, I I have a connection because in the Atlantic, there's a lionfish are very invasive. They're taking mm-hmm. over and killing all the native fish, and they actually have hunts where you know people come together and they all dive and you know it, this is the Ex- symbol for lionfish and if you see one you spear it and kill it and because yeah because it can totally decimate the native populations crazy yep and that's and that's what we were focused on out in utah because it does it destroys it destroys everything but in boston at the new england aquarium the the main goal was to research coral so the coral there's actually coral that lives off the entire East coast of the U S all the way down from Florida, all the same species, all the way down from Florida up to about Cape Cod in Massachusetts. So we would go out in this coral for whatever reason, we, we still don't know. It has the ability to, so like a large, the, the big problem with coral bleaching for a lot of the corals that live on like the great barrier reef and all these like tropical reefs around the world is there's a cyanobacteria that lives inside that does the photosynthesis and that photosynthesis feeds the coral. The coral just provides protection for the cyanobacteria from being eaten. And that's why they're so colorful and all this stuff. The coral that lives off of the East coast of the U S some of it has cyanobacteria inside. Some of it doesn't, and it's totally fine. And it lives that way without Mm -hmm. that cyanobacteria inside. And we still don't really know why. So that, that research was kind of trying to push into that area of how is this one coral species able to survive? supposedly perfectly fine without cyanobacteria without what you thought was a staple for their survival exactly it's like how is it how is it how has it evolved to still maintain survival you know survival yeah interesting yeah exactly so it was it was i was i was an intern at the time so my role was very (laughs) menial and tedious i was sitting there and I would just, I would just be sitting there with a piece of string, and I just wrap it around a tiny piece of coral, and then measure it, and then wrap it around it at a, you know, turn it forty five degrees, measure it again, like circle the the coral with a piece of string, measure it again, turn it another forty five degrees or whatever, tie the the string around the coral, measure it again. We were trying to over the course of, I was only there for you know three months or so, but over the course of a couple of years, they wanted to see if the cyanobacteria were helping the the coral. Uh, 
growth be you know grow faster be able to re- recover from any injuries or anything that were happening faster so they were taking like a water pick that you normally use like in your teeth or whatever and they would actually like basically water pick away one little coral one piece of it and they'd see how quickly it would grow back over in the pieces of coral that had cyanobacteria versus the pieces that didn't so mm. still a lot of just it's a lot of i'm trying to remember the the term for it, but essentially research for research sake. We don't know how it could benefit other areas down the line, but it may somewhere if we figure out why it's happening or how it's happening. Yeah. It's basic foundational scientific, basic scientific research. Yep. So exactly. Which a lot of that happens in Kansas city with one of my clients, Stowers Institute. They basically do a lot of basic biological research. They may not, they, they they're just trying to figure out how the jigsaw is all put together. And not knowing what the application could be down the, down the line, mm-hmm. they, they let others yep. try and figure that out. So did you end up hearing how that research turned out? Did you get a chance? You were only there for three months. Were you able to see kind of a product of the research once it was concluded? Kind of the student who's, it was her doctorate, doctoral thesis. It, this researcher was part of it. She got her doctorate, so there was that. <laughs> but but <laughs> I was done something. Or, yeah, I was too, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you know. But I was I was far too caught up in my own world at the time to really read <laughs> the paper. <laughs> yeah. So so no, I don't. I actually don't know how it turned out. I really need to go back and and look at that again. Yeah. Well, you've talked about some of the best part of those gigs, like with the Utah gig. You know, throwing the throwing the fish up and having the eagle that's still like mind boggling to me. Cause you know, we're, we live here. We've had like office jobs, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like it's just amazing to me that people like go around and just stun fish and eat some of them. And I, I mean, those had to been some cool days though. I mean, just going up and down the river and seeing some beautiful country. Oh, it, was, it was a, it was a blast, but there were, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things where you can romanticize it. But there was also, I mean, think about camping out in the wilderness every single week. And it's, it's not an option. Yeah. Every Monday, Thursday, you're, you're out there on a river, on a sand bed, just camping. That's definitely and, a young man's gig. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, unless, I, I you're, at- unless you're stewage in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. We had a whitewater Chad, rafting guide. Yeah. Chad and I, when we were young men, like your age there, Matt, we went on a whitewater rafting excursion and we had a guide named Stu who was out on the river every day and he smelled so bad we called him stewage so oh, he was he was pretty right he was pretty ripe crusty old dog but man he knew his shit on that river <laughs> hey he was a lot of fun yeah. he was entertaining but yeah oh yeah that's that, i mean that's basically what we looked like too our showers would consist of if you felt like it you'd just go in the river for a quick dip whole the river was yeah yeah it was i mean eventually we finally got around to getting some like biodegradable soap and stuff. But really at that point, we had all been living in each other's stench for months at that point that we were just yeah. like, yeah, nobody cares. It's fine. Who cares? The wind's blowing. Yeah. So there's, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, so yeah, like it, it's, a, it was a great, it was a great Arms job. Up, the wind's blowing. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was a great job, but also, you know, camping when you're for, I love being outside, being in wilderness on boats, on, you know, camping, all that stuff, mountain biking, rock climbing, all of it. But when you're forced to do it every single week without a break, 
you get home on Thursday, you, you, you're gone Monday through Thursday, you get back on Thursday, and you're like, all right, what am I going to do this week? Am I going to go, you know, climb this mountain? Or am I going to yeah. go mountain bike over on this trail? And you're like, I just I really just kind of feel like sitting at home. You know, yeah. I just I just don't want to do anything because I was out all week, exerting so much energy. And, and there were some some weeks where, you know, it was 110 degrees, and you're down in the bottom of a canyon. And right. the canyon just radiates the heat back onto you like an oven. So, wind. I mean, we, and we were on these giant metal John boats. I mean, the, the surface of the boats themselves, like you touch it and it would burn you. And there's other times too, where halfway through the year, you know, I, I got there. I was only there for a season, but the season lasted like when we started, there was still snow flowing down the rivers. And when we ended our season and started just kind of crunching the numbers and all the fish and all that stuff, there was also snow flowing down the river again. <laughs> so it was, it really was like a whole, a whole year essentially. But in the middle of the year out in the desert, they have monsoon season. So when you're camping monsoon season, not so great, especially when you're on, which we only got luckily while I was camping, I only got caught in like two really, really bad monsoons. One of which we were on our metal John boats, which was fine. We pulled off on the sandbars. We just said, we're going to call it a day. We set up camp in the rain. We cooked in the rain. I mean, it was miserable, but you, you made do. There was another trip, though, where we got caught in this monsoon, and all of a sudden, over the canyon walls, there's just these waterfalls where there were no waterfalls 10 seconds ago. I mean, massive waterfalls that you'd never seen before. And, and we, were on, we weren't on our, our metal John boats with the motors on the back. We were, on, we were on rafts, and we were literally rafting our way through the river because it wasn't big enough for the, the metal John boats. One of our boats almost went away. Some guy went out out to go get something that he forgotten, like a cooler, probably more beer. And he went out to the he went out to the the John boat and because it had been raining so hard. Obviously, the or not the John boat. He went out to the raft, and because it had been raining so hard, the rafts are slippery. So he just slipped right off, and all we see is is his headlamp floating down the river away from us. Oh no! And we're all we're all pissed drunk at this point, you know. So we're just like. Holy shit, there nobody. goes Logan. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Mm. Did you recover him? So yeah. yeah, he squamed himself out of the river. He came, oh, okay. he came back up soaking wet and he's like, ah, don't worry, guys. I'll just sit by the fire for 30 uh, minutes and tell him dry. Like, you know, what, what else are we going to do? Okay, good. The because only- I've had a whitewater rafting trip where I've almost died. Where we had, yeah. we intention almost nearly intentional chance heard this story. So in our younger years, we used, I used to go whitewater rafting at least every summer in Colorado. And we went on a stretch of the Colorado river called the numbers and with a yeah, bunch of yeah. guys. And I think there were six guys total in the raft. One of them was a martial arts instructor, which does, you no good n- no, in, a in a river river he, situation. He, he can't you but punch the water all you want. He was fit is all I'm saying. He was extremely fit. And we were doing, we were doing boulder sets. So we were actually going up to the boulder, reaching the boulder and then sitting on the boulder and then spinning, spinning off the boulder. And we did it several times because the guide was like, Hey, you guys been whitewater rafting before. And we did it a couple times, three, the third time wasn't a charm. We actually caught some water and capsized. And oh, all God. of us went out of the boat, including the, including the guide. And the only one that could get over to the side on the, on the swim, on the angled swim was the guy that was the most fucking out of shape out of all of us. <laughs> and when we got back into the raft, we looked at his hands, his hands were bloody because he didn't so much as swim. He, cl- he was in shallow water and he clawed his way to the side. 
and the guide ended oh up, God. he was latched to the raft. I was underneath the raft, got, did the whole safety thing underneath. The guide flipped right on top of me, kicked me down the river, but the guide oh had God. to jump back in the raft and collect all of us. It was a, it was an absolute fucking nightmare. I, I just, I prayed to God that I'd see my son again. You know, was you don't God. underestimate the heart of a champion. I mean, <laughs> I know who you're talking that's, about. I mean, <laughs> like he's like, I'm not fucking dying today. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's got to be that guide's like worst nightmare too, though. Like uh, I think of how many times he's run that river, and of course today of all, it's he's thinking like, oh yeah, of course today of all days, fucking flip the raft. Well, he was a pretty cocky son of a bitch. He was kind of like, oh, you guys look like <laughs> a good group. This is gonna be fun, you know. Like how many times have you guys all been rafting? He was like. How many of you have been rafting at least once? And everybody raises their hand. And he's like, good enough. Good. No, hell no. Once he hit, everybody had been rafting like five to 10 times. He was like, oh, we're having a good time today. And it turned into an absolute nightmare. I think he got fired by the time the day was over. I mean, but you I, only have like one throw bag. Like, who are you going to throw it to when six uh, other guys are in the water? Oh, yeah. Try and grab as many as you can. Uh, Get a three for one. Yeah. They had to do the whole, you know, the whole like knees down on the raft lock my arms and lay back and pull me into the raft i'll tell you that was the best <laughs> damn meal i've ever had in my life was that dinner that less dinner that night so anyway the listeners haven't heard that story but they almost lost me in the river and the world would be a sadder place it, for it it would be a, a sadder yeah. place for it so you ready to play a game of triple d let's do it all right so this week's triple d discussion is a little bit of a nod to our guests. We try and make it a nod to the to the guests and the topic. If you're not familiar with Triple D, what we do is we throw out a scenario and we discuss whether it's a dick douche or dumbass move. And it's our way of outing bad behavior. And sometimes it's our own. And I think this time it fits mm. the bill. So this week's Triple D move is ecological researcher will let you lead this week's triple d move is what do you call someone who litters in a national park including dumping like a hundred times the ratio of species of unindigenous animals into the fucking water system oh man but that's those, a, that's I mean, a different those, kind those of litter. that's rate. a different kind of littering what do you what do you those, call those people Oh, the people that are that are dumping invasive species in. I mean, those people are are all three. I mean, I can make a case for <laughs> them being dicks. I can make a case for them being douche, and I can make the case for them being dumb. It really probably just depends on the specific person you're talking about and how aware they are of actually what they're doing. Why why um, they decided to do what they did? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But just I mean, just for litter. I mean, at that point, it's. I mean, you're. I'm struggling because that's either you're either a dick or you're a douche because you're either a dick because you just don't care about other people and about what other people care about or things like that. Or or you're a douche because you just think you're better than everyone. And like, oh, if I litter, it's OK. But if somebody else litters, you know, mm -hmm. that's not OK. It's it's a weird it's a weird mix, but it's 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 between a dick and a douche for me. Yeah, I'm going to go with. I'm probably to me, it's just a hard dick move. It's like, you just don't care. I mean, and this is assuming some sort of awareness, right? So if you're of a, before a certain age, look at my children litter, right? We're talking adults here. You're a dick. If a child litters, they just don't have the, 
the experience and brain processing power to go, oh, this might be harming somebody. But by the time you've reached adulthood, you pretty much know once you dump something in the environment that you're not really helping or contributing to the environment. So I'm going to call it a, a hard dick move. What say you? So I don't, Chad, I, I feel like this one hits a little too close to home. <laughs> um, <laughs> and why would that be? So this was like 15 years ago. Well, maybe not 10 years ago. We were hiking in Rocky Mountain National Park over spring break. And I, full disclosure, I had maybe two too many cups of coffee and that brand muffin probably didn't help. And nature was calling hard that day. And I asked my wife, I'm like, what you got? Because I got to take care of some business. And <laughs> she had one of those mini packs of Kleenex. Okay. With like two left in the pack. There's only like six in there to begin with. All right. So I literally had to do like, like, like a bear. I'm like backed up against a tree. I did dig a hole. I will say that. And, and I took care of my business and I'm like, yo, babe, you got any more, uh, you got any more toilet paper? And she's like, no, I didn't bring toilet paper. <laughs> so I did dispose of everything in the hole I mean, if a passerby would swear like a grizzly was in the area, if they saw it, the Kleenex probably would tip them otherwise. But yeah, I call me a you dick know, if you, know you what, want, though? but it's going to happen no matter what. I don't know. How would you classify that, Matt? Those seem like an extenuating extreme circumstances. I none, none of the above, because you know what? When you're out on the river for four days, you got to shit. And guess what? Yeah. You just dig a hole. And we just use regular toilet paper because Kleenex toilet paper, all of it's biodegradable. So you're good. Hey, there you go. You're in the See? clear chat. Shit happens. Clear conscience. You did it. You did it the right way because you dug a hole. Swear to God. I mean, the ground hole, was though. partially frozen. It's, I'm not going to give myself too much credit. It wasn't like I got down like, you know, <laughs> two feet. Like, listen, no, no, no. It's as long as it's as long as it's buried. That's the most important part. All right. Because right. that helps that helps the decomposition process begin. Well, quicker. I'm going to I'm going to go with it's a dick move. Well, he gave you a pass. Well, he I know, said it's yeah. biodegradable. The littering piece, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, even he said the Kleenex or the tissue. Yeah, I know. Not my shitting aside. Just oh, you're shitting. We're not talking <laughs> yeah. about you at this yeah. point. Just in general. In general, I'm going to go with the dick move, then. like a granola wrapper that's like partially that's aluminum. That's that's what yeah. I'm picturing. Yeah. Just because it's got Nature Valley on the wrapper, that don't mean shit. Like you still got to take care of that stuff. <laughs> They're going to turn that into a bench or something. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's really sad. We were in. Gosh, where were we? We were in Naples, Florida, a couple of years back, and they had pulled out all of this crap out of the out of the ocean. Oh, yeah, of, that's a humongous problem. And now they actually had a cool project at the zoo where they were taking that and all the local artists were creating art out of it. Mm. But, you know, it mm. took them to scrape, scrape it out. And it was just amazing. They had all the pictures of all the crap they were pulling out. Oh, of plastics the are a huge problem. Yeah. I mean, to their credit, I, Corona, they're. You can go on their website and you can sign up. And if you commit to like doing an hour of beach cleanup, they'll send you a t-shirt. Oh, oh! I mean, we live in Kansas. We're hosed. Oh, I, I thought it was going to be a little better than that. I thought it was going to be the main proposition. You heard, I've told you the story about Maine. I don't know how many times about how they legalized possession of marijuana and distribution of marijuana, but they, the government got mm. hung up on the, retail sales of marijuana so you had all these distributors that were growing marijuana and wanted needed to distribute it and the government figured out well 
there was no place to, and they were getting pissed because there was no place to sell it. So they have the most beautiful highways in the country, because if you volunteered a couple hours of your time to clean up the highway, they were giving you marijuana. Yeah. I mean, that's All right. genius. I mean, you sounds give like, it to sounds them like after, a great trade after. Yeah. You got, you got to do the work first because <laughs> you're probably not going to be in any condition to pick up trash. But yeah, I like that. Yeah. T-shirt pails, but yeah, it's all right. T-shirts. All right. I've done a lot less Decent for a T-shirt. Man. Yeah, that's true. You come on the show like every yeah. week. Yes. <laughs> it's a much bigger commitment than picking up trash on the beach in the ocean. All right. So we're all unanimous. It's a dick move. If you throw a nature Valley wrapper out on the trail, it's not actually part of nature. If you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with our friend and producer, Matt Toll, be sure to come back next week to check out the continued conversation that we have with him. We talk some more misadventures, travel misadventures, who knows what near-death experiences await us there. And then we also talk about Matt being the multimedia guy that he is, photographer, videographer. We talk about some real passion destinations. And even if we can't travel internationally like we'd like to because of COVID, we travel there in our mind with Matt next week. And we talk real travel with Matt. He's got a couple destinations, nice outdoor and perhaps some beer drinking destinations. And he and Chad, ironically enough, may be overlapping a trip. So we'll find out. So be sure to join us. For part two of our conversation with Matt Toll out in space next week. And remember, if you're familiar with the pitches, best in Kansas City award, we're in the middle of nomination season. We'd love it if you'd go out and nominate us. If you enjoy spending a little time with us, nominate us for best local podcast. You can nominate now for a lot of things that you love in Kansas City between now and and July 30th, go out to vote.thepitchkc.com. You can find us in the arts and entertainment section, best local podcast, and just write in the hump. You might see our name up here there, but go out to vote.thepitchkc.com, arts and entertainment, best local podcast, and write in the hump podcast. Certainly would appreciate if you show us a little love by nominating us today. If you've enjoyed Matt and our conversation with him in this episode, go out to the hump podcast website and sign up for our newsletter. You'll find Matt's beautiful picture up on the website Mm -hmm. and link to him. And you can go out and check out his Instagram account. Go find tolltime.com. Remember you can catch us live on Facebook. Most Thursdays around six ish. Whenever the guest decides to roll in, kind of like Matt tonight. Eventually, eventually I'll be here. (laughs) And and, and don't forget to rate us and leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Chad's personal favorite. Stitcher. Take care, everybody. Stitcher.